Yes, talking about getting text messages um, and that when we get them, then the mind uh, will respond or react. In this particular case, you're talking about that the messages came in that reaffirmed and confirmed your sitting practice. It was, a, I guess you could say, a, a meaningful coincidence, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, well, in a way, that's kind of what we could say that we're, we're looking for. We're beginning to pick up on the fact that a lot of things happen coincidentally. The, there, besides uh, that word, there is the word synchronicity and serendipity. That I talk to students about, yeah, and that when when we uh, when we see it, basically um, we appreciate that two events happened, but we don't know what the mutual cause was, no. or even in fact if there was a mutual cause. No, but we do know that uh, uh, that things happen uh, like that, but. One of the things that I wanted to point out is that how we feel is not dependent upon a text message. That's an important point um, that uh, uh, I just uh, had a, a chat, took three hours with Steve and Dan Ingram. I watched it last night. So. Oh, you did. Okay. Well, in in the beginning of that, uh, there was a discussion of the Majjhima Nikaya, the Sutta, uh, called the Great Forty, but it's basically about um, looking at how the Eightfold Noble Path actually operates. And in one of the statements, actually, it goes through it in great detail in the sense that one's right effort is to take on right view and to abandon wrong view. And then later it says, and one's right effort is to have right thought based upon that right view, and then to abandon the unwholesome thoughts, which is exactly what I've been teaching all along. And that um, this is something that a lot of us miss because we spend so much time in unwholesome thought that we're actually trained into it. We're trained into being critical. We're trained to worry. We're trained to see things as dangerous. Uh, it's part of the culture that we were raised in. Western society does that. Uh, Thai society has its own disadvantages, but this is something that I see in the Westerners a lot that we have a, a mind that's trained into what actually that is advertised as critical thinking. And so um, what we're practicing here is the effort that it takes to change the mind out of those old unwholesome thoughts and giving ourselves new wholesome thoughts except that as we begin to, let us say, develop the skill of the determination of what is the wholesome thought, our, th our, our thoughts get even more wholesome. 
that one of the ways of looking at it is, is that people will say, well, the ordinary junk thoughts that I have, they're not particularly dukkha at all, and therefore they're okay. And the answer to that would be, <clears throat> yes, but they keep you out of the state of sukha. They keep you out of the feeling well-being that it that there is an ordinary drudgery that in fact has some restlessness and some uh, worry and that kind of stuff. That's why those thoughts are there. You could call it actually the monkey mind. It's just jumping around. And yeah. so the more alert we are to that monkey mind and recognize that it's thinking about the past or the future or work that needs to be done or things that are not around us, then that's why we want to develop the skill of sati further so that we spend more and more mind moments right here and very pleasant right here, right now. So now that you're back on the path, we can begin to see that it's actually not the sitting practice, but that the sitting practice is nothing but, let us call it um, a dry run or rehearsal for a concert. And that concert that we're going to give is our, the concert of our life. Yeah. No, yeah. all the time. And so if we can have that joyful uh, uh, music going all the time, the only way to develop that is to remember to keep bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back. And whenever you recognize that it's not there, we don't dwell on, oh, poor me, it's not there. Instead, we say, hot dog. I remember now, and here it comes. This really helped. Like yesterday, say in the in the sitting practice yesterday, that you know, I guess I was kind of in a in a stream of thought, you know, for a good few minutes, you know, and and even then, even then, you, I could compare myself to say like other 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 sittings where you think that nah, I was on the ball, you know, I was, I was sharp. Even then, though, three minutes. If I was lost, if I was lost for half an hour, doesn't matter. Never mind. Come back. And there's something, there's something about that. There's something about that. Even if you've had a big chunk of time missing, mm -hmm. coming back like that, it's just, it's great. I don't know. It's, it's, there's something. Sometimes even the, the the more lost you are, the, the 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 feeling of coming back is kind of even more pronounced. You know, it's uh, exactly so. It so, it really is like uh, coming home. If finally I'm home. <laughs> yeah. Whew, yeah. Yeah. And it was all—it was all just a bad dream, or something like that. You know, that's kind of kind of how it mm -hmm. felt. So. A way of thinking about it is, is that it's actually just a journey. The Buddha uses that example. In fact, he has five examples of what the mind is like when it's free from these hindrances, including this mental journey that we go on. But he talks about it in the sense of. Um, Let's modernize the story rather than having camels through a desert, uh, which is the old way of looking at it. But just traveling uh, on an international flight, many people have a lot of luggage. And when they carry a lot of luggage, that means that they have to guard a lot of luggage. And they have to worry and fidget with the luggage when they're uh, uh, eating or when they're at the uh, gates or wherever they are. They've got to manage all of that luggage. And it's actually quite a chore for them. So when they finally get to their destination, one of the things that's very characteristic is for that person then to drop all of that luggage without even unpacking it 
and perhaps lay down on the bed with a big sigh. <sighs> Glad that journey is over. Yeah. Okay. So we can see that, in fact, with the monkey mind, that the monkey mind is almost all on a journey. He's got to go travel and do stuff. Um, and carrying a lot of baggage around. And, and one of the ways of looking at it is, is that perhaps the reason that the monkey mind is jumping around so much is because it's being chased and it's afraid of something. So if we can get that monkey to come to the point that it's not afraid, it won't be jumping around so much. This is why with Anapanasati, we want you to dwell on that, that quality of safety and security. Because if we can actually generate that feeling of well-being, of being safe and secure, that will actually condition the mind those feelings of well-being and nurturing will condition the monkey mind to settle down on its own and yet a lot of students will see it's the other way around no i've got to throttle that monkey i've got to stop that monkey no by grabbing the monkey and trying to stop the monkey you're chasing the monkey guess who's chasing the monkey guess why the monkey is running it's good but it's the same to say with, with, the, with your parents, you know, that your parents are trying to get a, they want you to behave yourself. So when they, but when they shout at you and scream at you, you're more scared to so play up, you know, you sort of, you know, in that, in that particular instance, you want to be made to feel safe and it's all right. Exactly. And then the kid's more likely to, you know, he's, he's acting out because he's scared, you know, I've seen that in myself and, and, you know, it's just unskillful parenting, I guess, you know, it's, um, yeah. Well, then with that unskillful parenting that we, uh, let us say, were introduced to yeah. and dwelt with as a child, that becomes our main role model. Yeah. Not only for dealing with uh, uh, children, for instance, the, the new daddy will begin to behave over the years just like his dad did when he was growing up. Yet when he's a young man, he hated his dad. Didn't want to be anything like him, but by the time he's 40, he recognizes you just like him. Yeah. Okay. This uh, mechanism that that creates that situation, or cre in fact, you could say that creates that destiny, is um, the fact that after we hear the parent, we begin to rehearse what the parent ego state said in other words, all the remembered rules, laws, would, shoulds, ought tos, and that kind of thing are then remembered and when, uh, or let us say, applied and then remembered. And then that gives the child inside of us some new job to do that we may be rebelling from. You've, you've heard no doubt about the word procrastination, right? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, here's the point about pro procrastination is, is that this is uh, procrastination is actually a series of dialogues between the parent and the child. For instance, the first thing is <laughs> the parent says, you got to go do something. Yeah. No, I don't you want to go do X, right? I don't want him, and then, 
<laughs> and then the child inside says, oh, I don't want to do X. Yeah. I want to play with my toys. <laughs> I want to play with my toys. I want to be okay. I don't want to go do X. And then the parent ego state comes back with, but you know you ought to do X. But if you don't do X, something bad's going to happen. Well, now we've got two problems, right? Now, not only do I feel bad now, but then uh, the parent ego state is, is promising, promising us impending doom. <laughs> this is, like, is that a superego, like the Freudian? Is that what he's talking about? This, I'm talking precisely uh, superego out of Freudian psychology. And in burn, they call it the parent ego state. But the Buddha refers to it as the Silavata Paramasa, our attachment to all the laws, rules, and rituals that we've had our whole lives, that we keep telling ourselves what to do, and by doing so, making ourselves miserable. I know that, that, that kind of confusion sometimes when, when you really don't know how to act you, you, you're kind of frozen in kind of you're paralyzed in terms of you just you don't know how to act or how to be in a, in a certain dynamic with a, you know certain people or doing a certain thing you just yeah that, that can be uh quite painful just not knowing what to do and i can kind of imagine like you've got your parents all shouting shouting at you and you're kind of you're, you're, you're frozen like this and it's just it's, right that's a state yeah. that kids get in or another state is, is that uh, the child will be, let us say, also frozen in fear, but they're also uh, weeping and crying and trying to, <gasps> you know, that kind of thing. And in that state, the child can't think at all. And, yes. all, and, and all they're doing is dealing with the terror of the impending doom that the parent is about to bring on because the parent, in fact, may already have a belt or a coat hanger or a switch or a, a yardstick or a ruler or something out to hit the child with. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying the child. Yeah. And the child is, in fact, terrified like that. He's frozen, just as you say which means that there is no possibility of the child being able to do what the parent is demanding of him right then. Yeah, yeah, seen, yeah, I know, yeah, seen it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and so um, that is what we, that frozen and fear is also confusion. But that's another reason for, or let us say, an underlying way of looking at procrastination is, is that we're literally frozen because we don't know what to do, but we are still told by that parent ego state that we've got to go do it. I don't even know what it is I got to do, but I feel the urge of confusion over what is needed or what, what are my, what's my job, what's my responsibility right now. I've just uh, talking about it. I feel, I feel as well that sometimes, you know, with the internet and kind of when you've read like a million different self-help books, you've got all these different, like you've got 10,000 parents in your head and they're all telling you different things. And this is, mm -hmm. uh, this can be quite confusing. Like there's all these little, little, little nuggets of uh, snippets of words that you've read or something and they come into your mind and, and that, that can be quite confusing. Uh, so I guess you're relying, yes. again, you're relying on, um, in 
in real life, that parent ego state is actually packed up with a whole lot of real people at, that the child knows. Uncle Fred, Grandpa, Grandma, first grade teacher, preacher, Sunday school teacher, teenage kids older than he is, the whole thing. Everybody's going around telling that kid what to do, and he's trying to keep track of all of these rules, trying to figure out how to maneuver among all of these rules, knowing that if he breaks it or if he screws up, he's going to have impending doom, that somebody's going to come down on him. And that's how we're raised. (laughs) It's a tragedy. It's brutal, isn't it? It's brutal, you know. It's brutal. It's, uh, uh-huh. It is. We right. We just don't understand the brutality of our own existence. No. But there is something else about that parent ego state, and that we should begin to look at that too. And that is, is that the original mommy was a nurturing mommy that there is, in fact, a nurturing quality of the parent-ego state as well as this critical part. And so this is why we're going into the nurturing, because it's, in fact, it's that nurturing part of our parent-ego that we want to turn on on, as opposed to the critical part of the parent-ego state. That, that in in fact, if we understand what we're talking about, um, let us put it this way. Most of the ways that parents have told us what the rules are is by telling us what the rules are. Yeah, not showing us. It's it's verbal. Yeah. Therefore, when we tell ourselves in that remembered way what the rules are, we also recognize that it's verbal. This is, uh, you know, like I guess like when your mum and dad are fighting a lot when you're growing up, and then you start acting like your dad in that situation. You hit your sister or something, and then and then your mum tells you off, but she doesn't tell your dad off because she's scared of him. And it's all it's all it's all these different values, like and you, you kind of you're like he can get that's away. right. That's even more confusing for a child is when he actually begins to act like daddy, and mom smacks him, but she doesn't smack dad. <laughs> she smacks you. She smacks you. You can't smack dad. <laughs> so. <laughs> Right, so there's a lot of that confusion in there, but both dad and mom do almost all of their communication with verbal, not with the actual smacking. Smacking is actually rare. It's the threat of the smack, and that's delivered with, with verbal. Okay, this is an important point because this is how it helps us to understand what the Buddha is talking about. Is, is that it's this verbal part of the mind that goes around ordering us to do stuff, making judgments, etc., like that, that we've fallen into the habit of acting just like our parents. Who acted just like their parents? <laughs> but it's, out, it's outdated, isn't it? It's not, it's not about this infinitely complex kind of, or I guess simple, I guess you could say, kind of hit like the here and now, isn't it? It's not. These are coming from. That's the... exactly right. It's not about now. It's how things ought to be. Yeah. That are not now. Yeah. And frozen in time in 1986 in 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 the living room of yeah you know it's, yeah. Right. It's... But even then, it was delivered as the future. Right. 
Okay. That I'm smacking you now because I want you to be good in the future. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is so what I mean. This is why this meditation is so helping because you you see through that you know you can you're starting to undercut you know these these rules, rights, and rituals, right. these habitual ways of thinking. You can there's a there's something to contrast it against. You know, rather than being lost in it and thinking this is the truth, this is reality. Mm -hmm. um, no, it's not. It's just a, it's a dream. <laughs> you know? Right. That's it. That's waking up. This is why so many um, Westerners are confused about some Buddhist teachings. Um, in the sense that uh, here's easy way to see a strange contradiction. And that is the, the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths. First noble truth, there is dukkha. This is it. This is dukkha. All right? That's the first noble truth. Then the second noble truth is this is the cause or these are the underlying conditions of dukkha. So that's the first and second noble truth. And yet, <clears throat> when the concept of um, selflessness or no self is applied to the point of sunyata, that brings to the point that dukkha itself doesn't really exist. The only dukkha that does exist is between the ears. Yeah. Dukkha is what the human being manufactures. Yeah. So but then people will get un get uh, um, confused and say, well, why would the Buddha say there is dukkha when in fact uh, dukkha is an illusion? Because it exists in that illusionary form, and that's the problem. It exists in a delusionary form. But you don't have to suffer. It's good. And you right, and you do not have to suffer over the delusion that you yeah. mentally create, and the and the manufacturing tools that we use to create this dukkha is this verbal dialogue, actually. Um, it's a thought dialogue, but it's not all verbal because, in fact, the child part of us, the deeper part, doesn't communicate with thought. Nonverbal. It yeah. communicates with feeling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, um, when when the thought is "I ought to smack you," comes as a verbal thought. The the response to that. Part of the dialogue is the cringing feeling, protection, okay? Yeah. Just like dogs have a very, very sophisticated vocabulary, even though they don't talk a whole lot, but even when they are barking, there's many different ways the dogs bark. If you listen carefully, you can hear that they're, you know, it depends upon, and some people can't tell the difference between a dog barking to say hello and the dog barking is you step another inch closer I'm gonna tear your leg off <laughs> and they can't tell the difference between this okay so this is also the way that we can think of this is that the this the child in us communicates in a primitive language it needs re-educating doesn't it like this this is kind of what this is this is this well Rather than even thinking that we can educate the child, what we can do instead is manipulate the child. Yeah, make it feel safe. Okay, from, from making it feel safe, exactly. Making the child in us feel safe, feel secure, 
feel satisfied. These are the feelings that we want as a response to the, uh, the verbal thoughts that we give ourselves. And it's possible. So now we want to give ourselves the verbal thoughts that are nurturing and not critical. Yeah. And, and we it. want to remember to do that on, on a regular basis. Yeah. And that's where the certain practice comes in. You're, you're set. You're starting your day like that. You're telling yourself nice thoughts. It's okay, Steve. So it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. And then you take that into the day and then you get into a little bit of a fluster. You maybe go into one of those hell realms, anxiety, that hell. Mm-hmm that journey through the hell realm in, in, on, your, on the mental plane, I guess, you know, you could say, in between. Uh-huh. And uh, because you've been... Wakey, wakey. Wake up. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, that, that, that's, that's why it's so cool. <laughs> it's, right, it is, right. And so, in fact, that hell realm that we actually wandered into was only real when we were in it. Yeah. When we wake up to it, we recognize, hey, that's delusional. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's almost crazy that we feel so bad when there's no reason to at all. Things are marvelous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I must. Be, I'm, I'm not. You know, this is a. This is sticky. Why we're this thing at the this this one at the moment? It's quite sticky. It's a bit of a to and fro, but it's but I'm loosening it. Like you know, by say by being nurturing and coming back, it's 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 loosening in it. It's loosening its hold on me, and that's why I meant about that text message. It kind of I know it's it could be any kind of cause, but. I guess I made it mean in that I, I kind of made it mean because it felt good to me was yeah that, and you were ready for that message boy yeah. were you ever yeah it was and like so it really right it really yeah. impacted you yeah it's kind mm. of confirmation that you know ah everything you've just been worried about for the last five minutes in that in that hell realm that text message as soon as you open your eyes from two different people just disproved it as well showed that it was delusional you know that hey hey Steve how you doing I was like thinking Wow, they are so mad with me right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, it was. That's why it was. But I say the feelings were intense. You know that, that that anxious feeling. So, but it's not a problem. I'd say I'm, because I know the practice. Because I've got, I've got something to come back to. It's uh, you know as long as I remember. I say I've got that contrast. You know, isn't that so common? What you're talking about, never mind the circumstances, but it is a common thought for us to just have a thought of someone we know, and then we have the longing. Oh, I haven't talked to him in such a long time, and then the thought of, well, maybe he doesn't like me. That's why he hasn't called me. Yeah. Oh, poor me! What did I do to that poor man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy that we go through that sequence? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You feel really insecure. Like and then yeah, this whole oh, did I say that wrong? Did I upset him? Did I did I mm-hmm. so let me let me go see what all I've done wrong and now we're just in it. I mean, there that monkey mind just is spinning yeah. now. Yeah. I mean What did I do wrong? Yeah, I mean in this particular case I did actually ask the person. He went, No mate, he said I'm just busy at work. That's that's what it was. I was, I was gonna text you later, you know, in, in that in that particular case. It was um yeah, it's funny how it's just boom. I guess that. I guess you, you. Yeah, I guess you could say that. You know, it's just well, it's just something to work on, isn't it? You know what I mean? Just something to, to. Mm-hmm. And even if, if he was annoyed with me or something like that, I guess there's still no, it's still not a reason not to, not to feel good right now. You know, like, and we can sort it out. If there was a problem, we can sort it out. But not right now because I'm sat on the cushion. You know, for example. <laughs> exactly, and not only that, but if we say. Um, it's already sorted out. Right. 
Okay, just hang with me just for a second. If we say, oh, whatever it was between he and I is already sorted out, then there really is no place to go with it. And so the next time that I meet him, I have in my mind that whatever it was is already sorted out. You know, that works many times because many of the things that we thought was a problem, he didn't even think was a problem, didn't remember it, and it never was an issue for him to sort out. And so if we just tell ourselves it's already sorted out, then we look at all the time and wasted effort <laughs> that we saved by not trying to work out what it is that never needed working out in the first place. Holding a, an imaginary grudge. Um. Right, holding an imaginary grudge. Most grudges are like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's hard to recognize, you know, and, and uh, it works in the other direction when I recognize years later that, oh, I really screwed that one up. And then I'll reflect upon it. You know, some of those people that saw me when I really screwed up are probably dead. Others are gone. Many of them, if they took a look at me, they wouldn't remind themselves of that particular event. And some of them don't even remember me and don't remember the event or anything like that. So why am I sitting here feeling bad about something that happened years ago yeah. when nobody yeah. else cares? It's actually, it's actually kind of like, um, it's, it's almost like, and, and I had this kind of like, I realized this as well, that you're like, actually, Steve, like you're not that important. Like people don't go around thinking about you. Right. Or, I'm not that important <laughs> to those people. They don't care. <laughs> They're thinking about themselves. They're not really thinking about, oh, Steve said this to me. Like, you know, not, like not, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, that, not everyone's going around thinking about me all the time. Like how bad I am and all this sort of stuff is, you know, like it's, they, they uh -huh. got, stuck in their own stuff, you know, in their own heads. <laughs> so. All right. Well, let me put this in what we just talked about in context so that it, it fits in. Um, and let us put it into the sense of conflict. And that conflict has three possibilities. We have conflict avoidance, conflict resolution, and then uh, conflict that turns out to be no conflict at all. Okay, that's not the same as um, um, ignoring it or, or denying the conflict, because that's the same thing as um, um, separating. You see, in the West, the whole idea is conflict resolution. Mommy and Daddy will bring the two siblings together, tell them to kiss and make up. That happens at school. We're supposed to find some sort of community. Husband and wives go to a counselor. The whole nine yards is built into our society as conflict resolution. In Thailand, they have a thing called conflict avoidance. Once two people are in conflict with each other, both of them will maintain a distance. I will never have to go back to that person and have that conflict remembered because he's going to avoid me as much as I avoid him. Yeah. But that's got some disadvantages to it. The third way is to recognize even if, <clears throat> it, you see, if that person is in conflict avoidance, then if I can go to the point of there's no conflict at all, then I'm good regardless of what he is doing. 
If I have uh, the point of view that my conflict is really no conflict at all and that I'm good uh, to go, uh, uh, per perhaps the example would be to forget about it because there was no conflict in the first place. And that's not the same thing as forgiveness because forgiveness is actually conflict resolution. So there was a problem, yeah. There was a problem and it is now resolved. We're looking at it from, hey man, this problem that we've just created is delusional, just like all my other dukkha. Yeah. No problem, and man. It doesn't need to be resolved because it's not a problem in the first place. Now, if that guy thinks that it's a problem and needs to have problem resolution, I can deal with that in the present moment when he brings up his problem because I don't have it anymore, you see. I've forgotten all about it. Mm. So in that regard, for Forgetfulness about old dukkha is better than forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. So Buddhism is not really big on forgiveness. It's a Christian type it's, thing. It's much more into, hey man, just drop it. <laughs> Forget about it. Yeah. There was no conflict in the first place. It's all in your own mind anyhow. Yeah, yeah sometimes you can kind of, you know, in your daily life, you're like, I'm really sorry, man. Like, I didn't mean to do that. And like, uh, and like to that, to the other guy, hey, no problem, man. It's because you're feeling really anxious and you're trying to sort of resolve that anxiety, I guess, you know. Uh huh. You're trying to get rid of your anxiety by giving it to someone else. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And they're like, isn't that interesting? Want to give it to someone else. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Dostoevsky, Russian author? I read, I read, uh, I read one of his books when I was in India. Um, the one I'm thinking of is Crime and Punishment. That's the one I read. That's the one I read, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, recently, I have read a review on Wikipedia of Crime and Punishment, and the thing that I got out of the book so strongly, they didn't even mention or talk about in their review. But this is exactly what we were just mentioning in the sense that, um, uh, very quick summary, the boyfriend of the housekeeper axe murders her boss when the police are closing in on him and he's feeling quite frightened that he might get caught for having tried to rob the woman and wound up killing her with a blunt instrument an axe when the police are closing in he confesses to his girlfriend thereby trying to give her his bad feelings. Oh, I feel so bad. I'm about to get caught by the police. I'm going to confess to you so I won't have to feel bad. And guess what? He ruined that girl's life. But I say now she feels complicit and, uh, and now she's got a secret. And what is she going to do? She's now guilty of being an accessory out of the fact to, after the fact that she turned him in. What did she do? You know, he's putting her in a hell of a quandary. Yeah. Moral dilemma. Yeah. Okay. In, in essence, every one of us does this with whoever we're talking about whenever we're complaining whenever we're trying to share our dukkha with someone else yeah. that's it we're trying to share our dukkha so i don't have to feel it so much but what we're doing is is that we're actually intentionally taking a dump on someone yeah, yeah. <laughs> An emotional toilet yeah right we're using other people as our own emotional toilet yeah i did actually tell someone that i was like like right now, I can't hear that. Like, yeah, because like, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. 
it, it, it sort of felt like the term uh, like energy vampire sort of came to mind because you just felt just you sort of felt your life being sucked out of you because you were this emotional toilet and um you kind of mm -hmm. you, you feel like you're trying to be nice and compassionate i guess and and be like the shoulder to cry on but you kind of that's the danger with compassion yeah is that it winds up somebody dumping on somebody and now you both feel bad yeah the example that i use is somebody's uh falling overboard and they can't swim and they're uh in the high seas and they're uh drowning yeah. And this guy on the boat, he sees what's happened, but he doesn't know how to swim, but he really wants to help. So he jumps into water, too. Yeah. And, okay, both and now you got two people drowning. Yeah. 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 It so, reminds me of uh, in one of the comment sections, I think on the last uh, on one of the videos, someone wrote about little kids in Syria. And I, I can't be happy if there's little kids in Syria sort of, um, you know, being blown up and stuff like that. And I, and I, I kind of thought, I thought, well, actually feeling miserable isn't actually going to help anyway, is it? You, you're probably more in a better place to help someone if you feel good, you feel strong, you know. You... Guess what? It's not the children in Syria that, uh, that she's pining over. It's the Syrian children inside her own mind that she's pining over. There's the delusion of the dukkha. Yeah. If she were going to pine over the Syrian children, she'd have to go to Syria and do something about it. Yeah. So she's just sitting at home saying, well, I can't be happy. Never mind that Damarato is happy. I can't be happy because I've got Syrian, six Syrian children in my head. <laughs> yeah, it probably makes you feel kind of more moral about yourself than you actually are. Like, you know, kind of, it's, I guess it's kind oh, of... Isn't it trying to take the moral high ground? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see that a lot. But I'm more compassionate than you are. There you are enjoying yourself. Yeah. I, but I'm feeling bad because of those people. Yeah, but there's more. <laughs> it, it, in fact, that higher more ground that we're just mentioned, it has the other side of it is, is that how can you be happy when other people are unhappy? You have to wait and be unhappy until everybody else is happy, and then you can be happy too, because after all, you're in charge of all the unhappiness in the world. God told you you were. Yeah. So you've got to be unhappy until everybody else is happy, and then you can be happy. This is, this is quite a strong, unwritten rules, rights, and rituals, I guess, isn't it, that you have to kind of... Some people carry that rule around with them, that they cannot be happy when yeah. there is misery in the world. Yeah, yeah you feel guilty. Unrealizing un that all the misery that they've ever seen and known happened between their own two ears. But they don't know the misery and the suffering of the uh, Syrian children. In fact, I can see Syrian children laughing and playing between my ears. Yeah. They don't all have to be hiding from missiles. Yeah. So it's a matter of what we do with it. But that's exactly right. That these and these are the um, the set of rituals, the set of laws, the set of rules that we were handed to, given when we were children, and we grow up with them, trying to adhere to them. And all we do is we wind up feeling bad because of all of these rules that we have that we don't want to keep, can't keep, don't know how to keep. Nobody who was giving me the rules knew how to keep these rules either. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't do as I 
Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Is that, is that the saying? Exactly right. Exactly. This is why it's all called a hypocrisy. It's all the hypocrisy is because I can't do what I know is right, but I can at least tell you what to do uh, that's right and wrong. And if you do wrong and I catch you, I'm going to punish you. Just to prove to you that God will punish you, he's going to use me as an instrument to get you. And this is how the um, our basic whole society was was founded upon that. Even though we take the God out of it, we can put other forces in there. But the whole idea is is that it's kind of this is the way it should be, got to be, ought to be, should be. Um, and and then in fact, reality is far too complex to make simple rules like that. That's why the Buddha's rule of just one rule of dukkha, dukkha naroda is all we need. And when I catch myself making rules, I can see that that's dukkha and I can stop doing it. Coming out of that judgmental mind and allowing things nurturing, everything's okay. There are no conflicts to resolve. There are only friends to be made. And this is something we have to keep in a nurturing way, telling ourselves over and over and over and over again until it finally seeps in, because the natural tendency is to go back, revert back to all of that stuff that we learned as kids. Yeah, yeah, there's decades of conditioning there. That's why we. That's why we call it practice yeah. or skill development. We have to be uh, have to develop the skill of being happy. Yeah. That's so interesting. Happiness is a skill to be developed. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You don't. No, I've only heard that from you. You don't. You don't hear that. You, 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 you think there's some. Where do you hear that in society? Society's not going to tell you that. They can't sell you cars with a slogan. Happiness is a skill to be developed. Because then you won't buy their cars. Oh, I'll be happy without your car. Thank you very much. And that's my first skill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're saying that yeah, buy this thing and that, that makes you happy. They're saying things make you happy, or relationships make you happy, or or education makes you happy, or knowledge makes you happy, or food stamps, or uh, uh, health care makes you happy, or whatever it is that we're trying to get from the government to make us happy. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's it's a material, a materialistic sort of way of of looking at the world, seeking our happiness basically from the outside. While on the inside, we keep creating dukkha that we want the outside to come get rid of. Where in fact, the easy way to do it is, hey, see the delusion of your dukkha and sweep that away and be happy with how things are now. Then you don't need the outside world to come save you from your own mess. <laughs> yeah. And and the mindset of no matter what happens, yeah, so I can be happy if I want to be. But you can, and you're practicing, and and you know that you can, and you're giving yourself permission to. That's part of the nurturing part that we get from that nurturing parent ego state is to give yourself permission, it really is okay for you to be okay. Yeah. 
and it's quick medicine. It, they say the results, the results of the practice doesn't take long. Oh, right. Wow, what a relief it is. It doesn't take long. And the more you do it, and when you do slip up, it's just easier to remember. I, I can't, I can't, I've come out of that 10 times already today. Mm -hmm. Let's do it one more time. <laughs> right, exactly. And then you kind of get, well, I guess, so you could get kind of disenchanted with these, these kind of certain mental states, like this anxiety that seems so real at the start. You know, it, it's a bit like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, you know, like here we go again. Is, is that is that movie playing in my mind again? Yeah, and look what happens then. And actually, life keeps showing me that it's actually all in your head. <laughs> you know, it's. Well, uh, um, there's many little statements, and the one that you had is something that we can look at. It here you go again. We could say that with different attitudes. The here we go again is one way, and the other one is the same as aha, I see you. Yeah. Or, ah, there you are again. Yeah. Here we go again. I see that. Yeah. Um, in, in military operations, they use the word incoming. Yeah. Okay. And, and actually, the way that the, uh, um, the civilians, when they hear the word incoming, they want to hide. Dangerous. Okay. But the, the soldiers, especially the heroes, when they hear the word incoming, that means they got to get their gear. They've got a job to do. They're ready to go. OK. And so that's another way of saying it is is incoming or there those feelings go again or aha, I see you, Myra, to be able to wake up to this stuff early so that you could do something about it. That's what the sati development is really all about, is to catch that uh, critical mind of that parent ego state with incoming with their missiles and rockets telling you what to do and where to go and how to feel well you just don't get sucked into it you know you just don't you don't you don't you don't, bec you don't become that i guess you don't right you don't become that that's an interesting point that we don't stress so much that um in the mind moments of the mind, in, uh, in the teaching that we talked about a long time ago of Paticca Samapada about how the mind works, basically, we can, um, the first mind moment would be the seeing with the eyes or the, um, uh, the sensory input. The second mind moment is figuring out what that means. And then the third mind moment is when we become that thing through our feelings. When we when we feel it, then we uh, the feeling leads to the grasping, leads to the clinging, and the clinging then becomes the clinger, or the clinging itself is the self itself. That we become selfish in our clinging to things, and when we're not clinging to things, then we're not being selfish. And so that's a very good way of looking at it is, is that the clinging uh, is what um, creates that self that then is in hell. And what hell is he in? He's in the hell of clinging. <laughs> he created himself to be in that hell. Yeah, if I'm worried about losing my money, my money. My, my money. Then I am that money. Look yeah. at that. that. We become that money. That money is me. If I give him that $500, that means I'm somehow less. Part of me left with that money. Yeah. So if I'm, if, so a good test, if I'm not worried about losing anything. Right, I'm okay. I can lose all the money and I'll still be okay. Yeah. 
and that's what I keep telling myself, you know, stuff like that as well. That's part of the nurturing thing as well, I think, is, you know, in a nurturing way, you know, that's, that's kind of like the acid test is what I keep, you know, saying. If I lose everything, will I, you know, the question is, will I still be okay? And the ideal that I want to aspire to is, yes, I will be. And that will be, mm-hmm. I think that makes you a pretty cool dude then, you know, it's, uh, well, that's actually quite well known. It's even a phrase I think Jesus is attributed to Jesus that though we gain the whole world, what good is that if we lose our own soul? Now, if you can take that and read it in Christianese, or you can look at it in uh, from the way that the Buddha would look at it, is is that in fact trying to gain that whole world or if I am seeing myself as money and the more money I get the more me there is then that's all we've got left is a big me okay and that we've lost the real essence of life yeah yeah all all there is to me now is the greed that I have for the money that I'm not much of anything left other than Unfulfilled desire. Yeah. Just every every thought is about protecting that money and and mm-hmm. all your energy goes. Going it, getting more. Yeah. All all about the money, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's unfortunate. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not as good as people think. <laughs> having money. It's, uh... Right. In 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 fact, that's something very interesting. Is is that when people have very little money. They think they'll be happy if they got a whole lot of money. There's actually just a sweet spot. That sweet spot would be then just enough housing, just enough food, just enough clothing, and just enough medication so that we can have an easy, comfortable life. If we have too much money, then we start to worry about keeping that money. It becomes precious. We don't want to let go of it. We don't want to practice generosity because we all have a little bit of extra when we recognize that that generosity is a way of building friendship and joy and community and making my life better, then I'll be willing to let go of that. But if I see that's me, that that if I give that guy that money and he's getting part of me, I'm I mean, you know, it's kind of what he would say is a zero sum game played with the money figure rather than looking at it as a win win. And also, you'll be a whole lot better off if he gets that money, and so will I. Yeah, and you feel that if it, and if your kind of self worth or whatever is, is is wrapped up in in the size of your bank account, yeah, you mm-hmm. feel if your if your wealth's going down, you feel diminished. Like you feel diminished. You know, you, you feel you know you're not you're not as as good as what you thought you are, or or, or right. So that's the creation of the self, and that's why it hurts so much, is because we think that we're the money that got lost. When in fact, I'm not that money. I'm okay with or without it. You can see why you just feel like, you know what? If you want it, you can have it. (laughs) Because, like, like it's uh, like, like, I'm on the other side of the fence where I've, you know, I've got some money, and, uh, and everything we're talking about is 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 real for me. That you know you do worry about it, and people are out to get you, and all this kind of stuff. It, it, you know, it's um, you know, you know, it can be a real nightmare. That's what business is all about. Name me a business whose businessman doesn't have those very worries. 
Tell me about it. It doesn't matter whether it's pharmacy or automobile repair, automobile manufacturing, battery manufacturing. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It is a literally for money, dog eat dog world. Or actually, it's a cash eat cash world. And everybody thinks they're the cash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so that doesn't mean that we can't do business. But what it means is that we can do it wisely. Yeah. Do it wisely based upon um, uh, cause and effect and seeing what's really going on rather than clinging to the money as if it were me. Also, I'm working less now with this sort of COVID situation and the demands there. And, and I, I finished early on a Friday afternoon. This is the sixth Saturday I've had off in a row. I think not last year, the year before, I had four Saturdays off all year. Um, and uh, and, I'm and just, you're still quite able to survive. You're doing better without the work. I feel better. I'm not, I just, I look forward to finishing at three o'clock on a Friday. You know, it's, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, funny, you know, the less I work, the, the happier I feel. <laughs> funny that, but that's not, you know, like I said, it's, it's and also because you've got, you got less booked in you can you can do a nicer job so you get the satisfaction of doing a nice job and um rather than feel like you're just doing it for the money just to get onto the next place it, it just it's just changed a lot of things and um but you will have a lot of conversations with people and, and and most people kind of in my circle at the car places i work at is is, is constantly i don't have enough money or like i was right for you steve you've, you've got some money it is it, it, and you're like eh, it's, it's not as, it's not as good as it seems <laughs> you know it's uh you know without trying to sound ungrateful but it, it's kind of i felt like you know I, i've had to go on on a certain path to sort of see the to see the dead end of it really you know um to, mm -hmm. to the bucket list you know well you can cultivate joy so that you can deal with those guys with joy that just because they feel up and down, back and forth between the about around the monies that they're having. You can be good natured and have have joyful feelings because the money is not in charge of how you feel. Yeah. You're in charge of how you feel if you remember. Yeah. And in fact, in the other uh, the other way of looking at it is really not the money that's in charge. It's that old parent ego state inside the head that says, you ought to go get that money. You need that money, that money. And so <laughs> even that is not really the money. It's the old tape in our heads that says the money is important. You got to go get the money. It's funny you say that because that, my granddad, my granddad was a self-employed person as well. Uh, my, my granddad was self-employed, a self-employed paint and decorator and just, just you saying that just reminded me. He he was always telling me about money when I was a kid and that. And you got to look after mm -hmm. your money, Steve. And you know you got to, and, and all this sort of stuff. I'd sort of forgotten about that. And I just I had a flash of my, my deceased granddad pop into my head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so. So now we recognize that hey, it's really not the money at all. It's the fact that someone when I was a kid told me that money was important, and I believed them. And and him saying you know. The tax man, the greedy tax man taking my money and, and, and all right. this. <laughs> I have to hate those tax men. <laughs> They're bad people. <laughs> Revenuers in America, they call them. <laughs> it's I've just just no I've got one percent battery. I, I forgot to bring my uh, laptop charger in. I've got I've got one well, 
That's all right. We've had a great time. Let's go ahead and finish this conversation now. And I want to congratulate you for getting back into the groove. I want to thank you very much for, you know, teaching me this so I can put it into practice because it's, it's, it's gold. It's, it's really good. It's, uh, and I, you know, I love the fact you said to me before that it's, it's, um, you know, it's priceless and that's because I've been so into the money for, for a while. Mm -hmm. I see the value in this because you give it for free. And that, that to me shows me how price, how much it's actually worth. You know, it, it's, that's how much it's worth. It's so, it's worth so much. I couldn't possibly charge you any money for it. That means possibly do that. Uh, I'd have to charge you a billion dollars. <laughs> that froze him right up. <laughs> Steve, we will see you.